welcome to episode three of the complete Agnes Varda. I am Matt Gastire. I'm here with my co-host Travis Trudell. How are you, Travis? I'm doing well, Matt. I listened to a fantastic uh, YouTuber talking about Agnes Varda, and it was it drove it was like nails on a chalkboard every time he said her name wrong, and it was that way every time. Agnes Varda. <laughs> You know what, though, like, like, it was great. We've done worse, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm or, sure. Yeah. Our whole Shushtov uh, Kishlowski you know, uh, series, I'm sure we've messed up, butchered so much stuff. So there there was a uh, essay on um, Clio 5 to 7 that was actually, I think it was originally on the channel uh, or on Filmstruck, but it was included on the disc. And I, I forget who it was by. It was by one of those major um, video essay people. And they kept saying Cleo. And oh. I was like, is it Cleo? And then I no. watched the movie, and there's a couple people that say Cleo in the movie. But, like, most people say Cleo. I'm pretty sure it's Cleo. I don't know. I think I think they're gaslighting you. Cleo Clamato. Ingrid Bergman movie. Um, Cleo Clamato. Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we are talking about, uh, her third film, Agnes, Agnes Varda's third film, uh, <laughs> Les Bonheurs, um, or it's probably more commonly, uh, known by its English translation here, uh, The Boner. <laughs> I told my wife that joke. I and told that she... joke to my kids at the table today. <laughs> And so we watched the Le Boner. She she pointed out that um, that would still be a pretty appropriate name for this movie. I'm uh, I, I was gonna say the exact same thing, both uh, both uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah, both meanings. <laughs> yes. I think it's, it's appropriate. All, it's all there. Um, no, this is uh, this is her third feature film. Um, Le Boner means happiness. Uh, sorry, it doesn't actually mean the boner. We were just kidding. Um, and, uh, this is her first color feature. Um, and it's also, um, one of her more, uh, sort of notorious and controversial films. It was a big kerfuffle when it was initially released. And then, uh, later on in the 1970s, it became a little bit of a boondoggle for her. Uh, with people, which is weird and hilarious to me, but we will get to that. Um, anyway, how are you in general? I'm doing well. <laughs> Getting over a little illness, but uh, thankfully I got lots of uh, Agnes Vardar to watch, <laughs> so it was fantastic. Um, you know, that and, you know, my kids made me do a John Wick marathon, but otherwise than that, oh my I've been god, having, wow. I've been having. Wait, oh yes. your son watched the John Wick movies? My son watched the wow. the John How Wick movies. How old is your son? For he's the eleven now. At home. He's eleven. Eleven, and he's uh his his uh his movie tastes are a lot more mature than a lot of kids. Yeah. I remember at one point he went to a birthday party and they were all watching some Disney movie at a a movie theater and one of the girls started freaking out about something happening and he goes, are you kidding me? This is a Disney movie. Everything's going to be fine at the end. And that was, you know, (laughs) and that was when he was like five and I was like, okay, so 
obviously I've been influencing this kid way too much. Um, yeah, he's ready for Le Bonheur. He's ready for Le Bonheur. But uh, <laughs> he did watch a he did watch a lot of uh, Le Point Court with me, and <laughs> he liked it. So hey, we're working. It's a win win. He especially Wick. liked when the uh, when the baby died. That was his favorite part. <laughs> Big fan. Big fan of uh, of uh, misery and strife. That one. Yeah. That I think that you know we didn't mention it on the show, but La Pointe Court could have used a knife fight. I think. I think so too. I yeah. think the uh, you know the water the water jousting like I could see what she wanted, but you right. know if it had been knives. Too wet, too Better. furious. But yeah. and if it was knives and on cars, pff, we would have had it there for sure. Um, so this movie, um, the first thing about this movie is, um, it was a very fast turnaround movie. She says she wrote it in a couple of days. Um, she was ready to go with it. Uh, kind of unusual for her. Um, and, and part of the reason this is unusual for her is, is the first couple of things we wanted to touch on here um, before we get into the film, which are two of her sort of aborted uh, projects that she was hoping to get off the ground, but was never able to fully get funding for. Um, I'm going to, you know, you made fun of this Vardag guy, but I'm going to bastardize uh, this, <laughs> this name, La Melangite. That sounds fantastic. I don't you, know. I think you nailed it. And uh, Christmas Carol. And Carol is with an E because the woman's name is Carol. I think we can all agree. That's, that's Christmas clever. Yeah. Um, so uh, Melangeet was a film that she actually uh, was trying to pull together funding for before Cleo, um, which we uh, kind of glossed over. Um, this is a movie which has a really weird premise. It's a movie that is about a man who, or sort of a, a boy who ages into a man. And every 10 years, I think there becomes another version of him played by a different actor, but the other actor does not go away. Right. Am I um, understanding that correctly? I think so. And I think it was as, as the relationship changes he changes and as he changes right. a new actor takes over and i don't i don't know if he doesn't go away i didn't get that but i know the actress his love was also going to do the same thing but i mean yeah. it sounded really uh, cut like revolutionary at the time like the idea of that i don't think had been done like a, I, I was trying to uh, you know, go through my brain of all like movies in which the actor changes throughout, like as time passes with the exception of like, you know, you know movies back in the day where, you know, you have this kid and then all of a right. sudden they're a new person or Humphrey Bogart gets a new face or something like that for a uh, noir. But yeah, I mean like, you know, lost highway, I guess is the closest I can yeah. think of. But yeah, I mean, I, I think from the, some of the interviews that I read with her um, around the time of uh, Bonor she was talking about the movie as if she was still kind of trying to get it made. And that was the impression that I got that like, it wasn't that they were being replaced by the new actor, but that there was like an additional person, oh which is goodness. kind of like a weird, yeah. That <laughs> sounds like something weird. Charlie Kaufman would try to pull totally, off. Totally. Yes, you have your younger so. self still in the room with your now older self. Yeah. Right. That'd be, exactly. That'd be pretty, uh, pretty insane after a while. Yeah. 
So I think she was trying to get this made with Truffaut and then Truffaut and maybe a producer or somebody else um, sold the project to Carlo Ponti, who was going to get it made because part of it is set in Venice. Um, and Sophia Loren was actually going to be in it. And then Ponti decided that it was not a big enough role for Loren and sort of dropped it. And I think through kind of like out of the ashes of that, somebody sort of offered her a quick Paris movie as a consolation prize. And so she made Cleo as a result of that, which is a pretty good consolation prize, I have to say. I think so, too. I mean, I I always wondered why there was such a long stretch between the two. And uh, thanks. Thanks to the fantastic... uh, uh, complete Agnes Varda set the Criterion put out, we have the opportunity to finally see the three minutes of footage that they she filmed for that, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Like, I really wish that we could see some more of it, because uh, uh, it's set in these uh, salt fields, and at the time of the year she wanted to film there, because she's really, she does a lot of her own location scouting, and really picks and writes her work around the places that she wants to film at uh you know she picked a place that in that time of year in july the the salt marshes turned pink because of just uh how how the nature of of a salt collection works and it it it, on film it just looks stunning it looked like both uh, it looked like it was in a constant state of a of a like a magic hour but it's it's just the ground it's just pink and the water pink it was uh i thought it could be very interesting it looked like it uh and it had some very artistic flair much more than uh la point court had in that one already had some really beautiful scenes yeah and and the color i mean you know i think the movie we'll talk about today like confirms that oh. she knows how to use color but i think um you know, it would have been really interesting to see her jump from Poincart to um, a, a color feature, uh, especially with, you know, the use of uh, color that she had in, in her uh, documentary shorts that she made in the interim. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can't certainly can't get a sense of what any kind of the uh, narrative would have been like. But, um, of course, any... Um, you know missed opportunity for varda is a missed opportunity for all of us so yeah um speaking of which we've got christmas carol which um is another film that she tried to put together in the mid 60s um i can't really tell if it was before or after bonor um i think it was right after it um yeah it seemed like it was right at 66 i think is when she was filming this one um and this is with a a, a young gerard depardieu oh yeah looking good he was looking good. Of course, the first scene he's in, he's eating something, and you're just like, ah. The beginning <laughs> he only knows. Well, the you know, he eats, he eats horse in one of the other uh, Criterion <laughs> films that he's in, so um, he's ready to party uh, no oh. matter what it, what's on the menu. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen him this young. I think maybe like early 70s is the earliest that I had seen him. But it, interestingly, the way that they um, classify this... Um, in the sh- in the short footage that was shot, um, I they specifically note that the people who she was trying to get financing from didn't like the story and did not like the actors. Yeah. So, yeah, this um, is like a big, uh, long screen test. Is what this felt. This is what it was supposed to be. Like, uh, let me prove to you what what it's going to look like and what it is. 
and <laughs> yeah, no one liked anything about it. And this is what says everything about it. Varda really didn't put up a fight and was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and just moved on. <laughs> there, there feel it feels like I mean certainly there's there's Varda in that that scene of them sort of making her feel bad for not having sex with them because they're friends. Yes. Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, like uh, Eustache in there too. Like the certainly mm-hmm. uh, Mother and the Whore, um, a little bit of Romer. Like it's very of its time, but almost like feels a lot more like the later uh like late 60s early 70s work that those directors were doing as opposed to the stuff that was being made in 66 i don't know like i was definitely intrigued by it and would 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 have loved to see what she could have done with it well yeah i mean because we all we were seeing is the test is showing that they're friends like i can't imagine what the uh I mean, it's the Christmas Carol, so I'm sure the story would get into it after a while, and uh, it also had a bit of, uh, it also had a bit of Jules Jim kind of thing with the yeah. triangle, um, which you know, it felt maybe they were looking to kind of more of that look, and she wasn't giving it to him. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, anything like you said, any opportunity that she would have had was a missed opportunity that we would have had. So, so. Um... Le Bonheur, I am very curious to hear your thoughts on this. I know that you have not seen this one before. Yeah. Um, this is uh, a film that I think wasn't getting a lot of attention um, for a long time and sort of got um, pushed into the middle of the pack for Varda uh, for many decades. I, th- I think and hope that it's being revived a little bit, but I'm very curious to hear what you thought of it. So the first viewing of it, I was totally smitten by it. Like just the the color and the... It was like so much color, bright and sun-drenched. Like everything was just beautiful. And it was idyllic and you're in these pastoral scenes and then... You're, you're in this small, quiet town, and everyone's kind of so happy. Everything is happy. It was kind of like a nice respite. But then you kind of start seeing, like, oh, this is sickly sweet. What's going on here? And uh, with the ending of the film, I was just, like, pissed. <laughs> I was like, come on. No. No. <laughs> I was like, this isn't, like, no. Agnes Varda isn't saying this. And then, you know, upon like another viewing of it and then a third viewing of it. I watched this three times in the past three weeks because <laughs> I was just like, I was so, I was so, uh, I wanted to pick it apart. And she leaves it so ambiguous and so like completely, completely open for interpretation to almost to. I think its own detriment as a film because because it's so open to interpretation it makes it really polarizes viewers and that then once I started reading about that and watching interviews about her talking about that it made me love it even more because now she's like she's literally just screwing with people on purpose and seeing what like getting a rise and seeing what everyone thinks about this because it's it if you if you take it at face value it's kind of an effed up story but if you read into it in a idea of kind of like a 
a second wave feminism type of thing, you can kind of really dig into this idea of uh, uh, like replacement theory, like this idea of like replacing, you know, women are interchangeable to French men in this uh, in this time period. And it really doesn't matter. Their happiness is all they want. And everyone else can kind of, you know, fly and it doesn't matter. And so viewing and viewing and viewing it just keeps on opening up more and more possibilities of interpretation and it's that's fantastic if that's something that she just tossed off and she thought about because this is only something a a a strong female director could make and get and have a story that is so compelling uh in terms of uh the ideas of the story and not so much what's going on in front of the camera so this is gonna be interesting <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i think that it is insane that anybody sees anything in this movie other than a complete and utter uh dismantling of the patriarchy <laughs> Right? Like, the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, this is, like, what's going on here? Like, is anyone ever going to be, like, I kept on waiting, like, I kept on waiting for the other shoe to drop. I kept on waiting for the bad thing to happen. You know what I mean? Like, we're so trained in narrative at this point that, you know, here we are in the happy part. When's the bad part come? And then when it comes and it is so quickly just moved past and we're back to being happy again, I was like, oh, fuck you. That's brutal. (laughs) No. And I had to go back and watch it again and be like, oh, I see what she's doing here. Oh, she is. And anyone who sits there and says, oh, the story, you know, uh, yeah, it's a if you don't see it that way, it's so hard not to understand how like how (laughs) how flawed you are as a human that you don't see that. It's a it's absolutely crazy. And it's absolutely fantastic that she pulled it off. It's no wonder it's so divisive. It's like if you're showing this to 1960s male Frenchmen who are super into being masculine and that, you know, they have lovers and it's all good. And, you know, the, the, it was at that point, it was de Gaulle's Paris, right? Like, uh, yep. the prime. And so he's touting this whole family values package. Um, that's the way that French lifestyle should be. And you have her coming in and being just like, no, this is, here's what's really going on. And you guys are all, twisted and i'm gonna hold this funhouse mirror back up in your face and show you what's going on it's uh it's absolutely fantastic i mean on the third viewing i literally was like ah you know what if in this next scene he just murders like a shit ton of people and like we see his wood shop is just covered in bodies i wouldn't be surprised because he's a basically a perfect serial killer (laughs) well but there would be wonderful mozart playing over that too (laughs) <laughs> so this is pro- probably um you know, i watched this twice uh, the past couple weeks uh so it's you know my third and fourth time seeing it i think that this is like a sight and sound film for me um i think it's probably one of the best movies ever made and probably could you know a, com- a case could be made i think as a, as the best movie ever um i, I think that uh you know we can get into like the technical elements of it later, but I think what she's done here is so vicious and so, um, 
profound that I think most, um, I think most feminist films that are, you know, addressing issues of uh, sexism or the patriarchy or, you know, feminism, um, I think that they are, you know, even even really good ones can be super challenging and uh, interesting and well done and illuminating. This film like gets to me in a way that I think like really challenges me as a man and says like, what am I doing in my what are my blind spots in my life that I don't see that, um, you know, could make me a better person uh, to the women in my life um, being raised in this society and as a, as a boy and as a man. Um, what am I missing? Because this guy is missing fucking everything. Oh, completely. He's, he's, he's riding in a haze of this uh, self-deluded world that he completely builds around. I mean, I honestly think there's two scenes in which we actually see what the real world looks like in this film. But then he quickly, he quickly changes his perspective to be able to fill in that gap and cut plaster over that one part to then make it back into his deluded fantasy land that he lives in. So I assume one of them is is when he finds Teresa's body. Is there? Oh, a... uh, it's a it's oh, damn it! I wrote. Did I write it down? It, let's let's just that's the perfect one to talk about when he finds her body so at some point in the movie he comes clean about wanting the perfect lifestyle of having two women his wife and also having a mistress and loving them both and then she drowns um i personally think it's a suicide most there's much debate about what has really happened because we never see what happens. Right. But there's a lot of film scholars and people who say, well, no, we see what happens because she's like kind of kicking around the water and she grabs for a branch because right. that's what Varda shows us. I'm like, no, Varda doesn't show us that. That's what he's imagining. Totally. Could be. Absolutely. Totally. And then you see him picking her up over and over and over again because he's trying to play it the perfect way. Mm. to then be okay with it and then plaster over that she accidentally drowned with his his imagination and then he's able to move on and not feel like he has anything to do with that the that uh suicide um and it's uh it's absolutely it's maddening that someone could be so so obsessed with themselves and so self-centered and so egotistical that they think that that is uh that is okay (laughs) yeah i mean it's crazy how about we call it a murder oh completely (laughs) i mean he could have murdered her and then gone back to sleep totally it wouldn't have it wouldn't have it wouldn't have surprised the same movie less shocking Yeah. yeah absolutely i mean it would just be like a chabrol film instead of a Truffaut film you know Oh, completely (laughs) completely and it's uh it's absolutely yeah it's uh it's (laughs) i mean the other yeah it's it's so hard to talk about this film because 
not not hard. I'm sure we're going to talk about more, but like it's like I try to say something and five thousand things come out of come into my brain at the same time to talk about like at the same time. So it, it's hard. So we should probably slow it down and go yeah. go back because right. we all we spoiled the movie. So let's, we spoiled the let's movie. Start we got from the beginning. <laughs> it's uh, yes. Let's go back to the foreplay. We've already had the uh, we've already had the sex. <laughs> yeah. Now let's go to the foreplay and uh, slow it down. Well, no, but I mean, like the thing is, like I, the 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 crazy thing that I just like couldn't wait to talk to you about is like I feel crazy when I hear people talk about this movie and when I read about this movie, like Amy Tobin's essay in uh, the original release uh, on DVD for Criterion is insane to me, mm-hmm. and the interview with the 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 sort of round table on oh the disc. that is super crazy i'm I mean, like it's yelling really at the screen fascinating they make some very interesting points but like i feel like they watched a different movie than me like i feel like every single person that talks about this movie including varda by the way although varda sometimes shines through and we'll talk about that later but i think like when she you know when the movie was released all she wanted to talk about was like I really wanted to make a movie about what happiness means to people and like what it's like to be a happy person. And it's like, what are you talking about? That's not the movie that you made. But it's almost like that's just where she becomes a, you know, a installation performance art totally. type person. I think that's you know? exactly what it is. Just saying, oh, I just want to talk about what happiness is. Well, what? <laughs> I think that she didn't know uh, how, how people would receive her film if she... Uh, classified it the way it is. I was going to say this, but I, I, there was, there was an interview with her in the seventies and it's really interesting because I think, you know, when she talks about this movie in the seventies, she's very defensive about it because there's a lot of people who perceived this film when it came out as being a sort of pro adultery, sort of like a free love movie. And it was about how like the women, are interchangeable interchangeable but in like a positive way i guess i don't know (laughs) i don't know what you say could be positive but like you know it's like they she was saying like look like you can you know bad things can happen but you can move on with your life you go what where it makes you happy which is crazy to me that anybody would think that that's what the movie is about but in the 70s french feminists were attacking this film as being sort of anti-feminist um and Varda, I think, was very taken aback by it. She didn't say that, but I, I get that impression from the way that she mm-hmm. talked about it. And one thing that she said that I thought was really fascinating was that she talked about, um, she, she talks around kind of what she made the movie about. You know, the, I think the most famous example of that is she says that it's a movie about like, a beautiful apple but there's a worm inside of it yes a beautiful summer peach with a peach worm inside. yeah yeah and and but i think you know one other comment i thought was even more illuminating which is that she was talking about how people what it takes a lot of money to make a movie and you know i think one of the reasons i wanted to talk about the um the projects that she didn't get off the ground first is that I wanted to underline that point that like, this is a woman who, um, you know, for over a decade has only been able to make three feature films. Godard made like 27 before this Mm -hmm. movie came out, you know, he's just, he never had a problem making a movie. She couldn't get these movies made. And so she, 
knew that if she told people what this movie was about, it was going to be a real problem for her. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to be sure that like when people go to the movie, they can have a good time and just, you know, enjoy it as like pretty colors with happy things going on and you don't have to worry about it. But at the same time, maybe some people would be like, hold on a second. This isn't maybe the best thing in the world what this guy's doing here. Maybe something's actually wrong here. And I really think that that, you know, is the key to her uh, off. I, I don't think it's the key to understanding the film. I think the film is pretty blatant about what it is about. But I think it's the key to understanding, like, this 10 years of her talking about this movie and the way that people have misunderstood it is that like she was really showing sort of French society, their blind spot, and they had no fucking idea that that that's what she was doing. Yeah. And the actors and actresses, I don't think they knew what she was doing. No, it's really interesting. Watching, watching the interviews with them later, um, you know the two the two lead actresses were put in a room together to talk about their roles. They both had completely wildly different opinions of what happened to yeah. Teresa's character, and then you watch the uh, the lead actor uh, um, <clears throat> Jean Claude Drouot. Um, he's t- going back through the town that they filmed the movie in, and he also has a has a he has the the completely wrong like there's no like. Oh yeah, no, I know what our I knew I knew what Varda was doing, you know, I'm to play up this role because, you know, we're really showing society what's wrong with them. He's nope. just totally like, no, he's just a man trying to find happiness. He's still <laughs> it's it's twenty it's twenty sixteen, I think, when they're filming this thing. He's like, Oh no. They still they just wanted to he's a man who just wanted to find happiness and you know he had so much happiness to give like he like oh my god dude you have you watched the movie like have you watched yourself in this movie like what like how can you still get that as the message and it's almost kind of like a secret handshake you know it's like you either get this movie or you're or you don't and then it's it's one of those kind of like hey what'd you think of uh, Le Bonheur oh it's such a beautiful film I really like the way that it works out for that guy. He's like, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> well, Don't have I to talk to you no, anymore. I, mean, I totally uh, think that's hilarious. But I, <laughs> I do think, like, I will, I will say, I think that there's two ways to to not get the point of this movie, and I think one of the ways is is just to like have that same sexism in yeah. your life. But I think the other way is that like we are so. Um, trained to watch movies in a certain way uh you know the spielberg way yeah and we can't possibly comprehend the scale of the of irony (laughs) that varda is working with here where she's not holding our hand through this thing like she is you know she i mean there, I think that there's some really explicit scenes that that sort of key you into um, what she's doing. I think most notably the housework scenes, mm-hmm. where we've got a bunch of disembodied hands doing the dishes and dressing the kids, and you know when Francois introduces Emily to his kids, he's just sort of like, "Here's my kids." I'm going to go mm-hmm. walk through the woods for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> have fun with them. 
get get used to them. I'm gonna go somewhere else for a bit. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm I gonna think, go look for another apple tree. Yeah, right. But I think like it's still really hard for people to like comprehend if there's like happy music and if the people are walking away into the sunset, even if there's a dying flower there. It's it still seems like a happy ending to people. And even if they don't think it's a happy ending, even if you can watch this movie and say this is sexist behavior, it's still really difficult for people to make that extra leap and say the person who made this movie is not okay with that. Yeah, I think and I think because of the time it was made and because you could tell that I mean watching I watched the she made those short films about uh, what happiness is, what happiness means kind of thing. And she talked about how being a filmmaker was pure happiness for her, like being on set, being control of things, you know, working with these actors. And so the prospect of making a movie that is this incendiary at that time, if she totally went and said outright what this movie is about, she probably would never made another film for years. Right. She would have been dug back up again in like the 2000s and, you know, as someone who made three great films, you know what I mean? She, it would have been, I mean, obviously, you know what I mean? We did a whole series on Elaine May. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's, a uh, it totally would have, it totally would have just cut her out of the whole scene altogether. So by playing it completely defensive and uh you know no this is you make you make what you will of it it's almost like she's giving the wink of like i'm not going to say what this is because i know what it'll get me in trouble for i mean this is this is the fantasy of what the men who run around in the handmaid's tale uh controlling the world really believe that it, it is what it should be um it should just be men hanging out together with pictures of Bridget Bardot on the wall, drinking <laughs> wine, smoking cigarettes, doing manly things like woodwork, and then you go home and have sex with your wife. The kids are perfectly behaved. Yep. There's they never cry. Well, I mean, the first thing, yeah, the first thing she says is like, "Don't, don't make noise. Daddy's sleeping." Yeah, don't make any noise. Daddy's sleeping, and then Happy Father's Day. Was it even right. Father's Day? It doesn't matter. It's Father's <laughs> Day for this guy every day. Yeah. And it's it's great because there's even like and this is what's really kind of starting to get screwed up, and I don't I know this isn't done intentionally or maybe it was I have no idea I don't know how because she's never talked so deeply into this. Yeah. There's scenes of like because of the overdubbing that they did in this movie. There's scenes of the boy bawling his eyes out while they're walking idyllically doing stuff mm. like you can see him crying like you can see his face he like that that scene where they're at the uh the little boys clubhouse they're building that Therese goes inside when they uh after uh his brother has another baby and they go to that house and then he's lying on the grass and she's lying kind of like in his lap and then the little boy is kind of like running around them and then like putting his face into his mom's like uh, back like his face is complete, like she's scream crying, but because they've overdubbed it, it's still got Mozart playing, and they're having this lovely conversation about, I love the smell of grass or whatever, and it's it's kind of like on that third viewing, that's when I notice something like that, and I'm going, oh, that's really fucked up, like it's so bad, this guy's like 
complete disconnect from reality is so crazy that we don't hear that kid crying. Oh, like, and I mean, because he, he doesn't hear the kid crying because the kid has never cried in front of him. Well, He's gone. All, all, well, the kid probably has. It's just that he really, literally doesn't notice it. I mean, I'm sure you've been in a room. Oh yeah, with parents where like the the kid is crying their head off and the mom is trying to comfort them and the dad just keeps talking having a oh, conversation yeah, yeah. That's and you're not just like, are problem. you gonna help out are you gonna do something <laughs> about like you could be a part of this too your wife looks really tired it's a uh, it's absolutely crazy and it's yeah like there's so many there's so many bits and pieces like that throughout the film that upon like second third fourth viewing you see that there's these there's really subtle um uh mental abuse pieces like he'll say things like she's like oh i didn't take them because uh i knew it would be a problem to have them as a client and he's like ah you always are doing the right thing and like it or something along those lines where he says something like oh good i'm glad you listened to me and it was like completely her idea but he gaslights her into being like oh you're always doing the right thing for me cuz you love me kind of thing and that's when you start seeing like some of this dialogue is really insidious and but i thought because... i thought that see like i was wondering if that was because he actually had told her when she had like ugly clients like oh it... you know he gave her a hard time and completely. Then so she just like doesn't do it anymore well, because the first time I watched the movie, when the first client comes over yep. and he makes that joke about better than being in the grave, yeah. and she's like, oh, come on, man, you really put your foot in it like her husband's in the grave. He goes, yeah, see, exactly. And it feels playful the first time you watch it. Then you see this whole movie, and you go back and watch that scene again, and you're like, what a piece of shit that guy <laughs> is. <laughs> well, but, and he comes home, and he's like, wow, what a welcome. Hello, yeah. ladies. Hello, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're home early. <laughs> it's total. It's oh yeah. It's a uh, you only hang out with the same four people that I want you to hang out with. It's emotional manipulation of you don't know how bad how you know the possibilities of having a better life are out there. You know what I seriously want to know is, it what did Jacques Demy do that <laughs> Agnes Varda made this movie? Ja- Jack, Jacques Jacques Demy did not like. Picnics. That was he why hated she picnics. claims that that's he hated why picnics. She she and made loved this Catherine so that he would go on a picnic. <laughs> hated picnics and loved Catherine Deneuve, and now yeah. he now he learned his lesson. Yeah, no, it, it, it like if my wife made this movie, I would be oh right. There, we'd have to have like a long conversation about there'd the be, script. <laughs> uh, there'd be lots of therapy. Like, well, it's interesting too something. because I mean, well, Francois and Therese are actual husband and wife um and those are their real kids Mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean they stayed married she even talks about in the bonus uh feature about how she um how they they like made that uh orchard speech into like a running joke in their relationship oh but but see bring it up all the time but she says that and then you go and watch him yeah. visiting the town again, and he has the same speech again, and he makes it sound like that apple orchard speech. They've decided that that's the best way for him to still have dalliances. It's a, yeah, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. And you're just like, oh, my God. You totally <laughs> – what is wrong with you people? That's also the wrong you, – you totally took the wrong thing out of this. You could, you could almost see that um, whole – 
uh, feature with him going back to that town as being like total fiction because it's just too perfect. Well, but what's funny is it's just like the movie. He's all happy. He runs from one yes. place to the next. He's seeing all these people. And then and like he's stealing every, all their stuff. Everyone makes little <laughs> digs at him. Like the lady he comes to on the street, she says something like uh, something about, uh, oh, yeah, wasn't your wife in that? Like, like why are you flirting with me kind of thing? And then at the place, he's like, yeah, you borrowed my son's suit and you never gave that back. Oh, you borrowed a shirt and you never gave that back. And then someone else says, oh, you look different. You're fatter. And you're just like, oh my god, is 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 Varda completely just like continually like sticking the needle in this guy? Like by because she made this documentary, I know. she included this footage, and also her her daughter's interview with the two yeah. ladies is also there's something really surreal about the editing style and the way that conversation is happening. It's almost like Stepford Wives are having a conversation together because of the way that the like the laughter doesn't match and some of the overlapping dialogue is very bizarre and the whole thing is just like this is just strange. She <laughs> does that she does that in the round table too. Like there's yeah. actually the round table reminded me of uh Lopramouf where like there's repeated lines of dialogue from each one of them mm-hmm. back to back. And there's very like, like almost violent cuts from yeah. line to line at times. Like it feels very um, uh, like, it feels like everything is in quotes and it's been like rigorously arranged in a very specific way to make a point. Um I mean, like she, she, it's very clear why she's like the favorite um, director of Criterion, like these extras are so rich and uh, lend so much to the movie. Um, like I just, I, I can't believe uh, how how gifted we are with this work that that supplements the film in in this well, way and comes directly from the the filmmaker herself. I mean, she she was a she was a visionary in seeing that this is how. It can be, it can be popularized, not popularized. Uh, how this can become uh, films for the people, like it can be, it can be made so anyone can watch these things. And then she saw that with DVD, with all these special features, like she just took it upon herself yeah. with her production company to start making all the special features for all of her films and restore all of her films, and no other director with the with, you know she, and she's doing it in such a way that it also matches the tenor and tone yes. Yes, of totally. the project she's working on or talking about and not just like let me sit here and tell you how awesome I am like a lot of you know some other you know, I'm, I'm just throwing Kevin Smith in. Kevin Smith always comes to mind <laughs> when I think about shitty special features of just some <laughs> dude talking about how great he is um or being self-deprecating but you know, she's really like all these special features are really building even more into yeah. the work that it is. Like the little tiny documentary she does with the German boy. Like, did did you see that one where she's talking about the film? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. In um, around a campfire, and, and a German boy just turns and says to us in German yeah. what she's just said, but it's a very simplified version of the longer story. Yeah, that whole thing is like. 
I, I was fast. I watched it twice. I was fascinated with it. I was like, am I missing something here? <laughs> is she telling me a secret code? I feel like everything is like in some sort of wink at me, like the whole time that we're yeah. watching all these special features. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, there's tons of winks. I mean, she because the thing, like, she's not, the, she is, she's examining her own work, but she's not precious about it at all. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why she's so willing to go in there is because, like, you know, I mean, like somebody who I thought of immediately when you said, like, you know, she's using her own production company to restore these films is was is Wiseman. Like Wiseman hat owns all of his movies. He, you know, he's currently restoring them. He's not going to make a single supplement for his movies. Oh, not at all. He think he thinks it's all in the text. He doesn't want to tell you anything about his movies. He's got all sorts of secret jokes in there that he hopes you get, but he doesn't really give a shit if you do or not. Um, I love Wiseman, so don't get me wrong here, but like <laughs> Farda is just not that kind of filmmaker. She is very um, willing to engage with her work, even if it's to lie uh, blatantly about it, like she, <laughs> like she did about this movie for a decade and a half at least. Um, so, I mean, I think like, uh that that component of this is so fascinating um but but i yeah i mean the thing that the one that got me was um the actress that played emily uh in that interview talking about the end of the film and the way that she talks about it she only talks about francois and his response and how he made the decision to uh remarry and bring this woman into his family as the mom does not think about her own character and her own character's arc and decision to basically give up her life to replace this other woman in this family um, be simply because, you know, this guy wanted her to. Um, it's really uh it was really jarring to me and then you you compare that to the um you know ostensibly uh feminist uh woman that's speaking in the round table about her you know who who has the what is it like uh neither whores nor submissives yeah. uh uh group which you know I'm not criticizing that group I don't know anything about it but she characterizes emily as this modern woman um it, because she says uh you know um when they when they're first together like don't worry you're not the first this isn't a big deal yeah uh, let's just do this <laughs> like that's that's not like being a modern woman that's saying exactly what a married man who's cheating on his wife wants to hear from the woman that he's cheating on his wife with Com completely and every like all the conversations that they have the first time you kind of see like you know uh, uh, it took me two viewings to start to see unwrap pick away at the at the fabric of what the film has woven for us and, you know, I'm not trying to, like, Q-nut it here and, like, go down the dark webs of, like, figuring this out. But <laughs> but seriously, like, you go back and re-watch their courtship, and it is so just, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, convers like, circular conversations that 
like turn back on itself to make her feel like she's the one in the control or in power but really everything is based on what he wants or he desires and it gets it's super manipulative you know he says stuff like he says something that hurts her and then he says well i've i've never lied to you i always tell you the truth and that kind of makes her pep back up again oh yeah no that's right he's being honest with me so this is a good thing and <laughs> like you're just like what no like he's you're you're a kept woman you're the side piece and you know he says right and i know i love my kids i love my wife i'm never going to leave them but if i met you first i'd probably be living with you and then she's like, oh, okay. And you're just like, what? No. <laughs> this isn't cool. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Emily. You got this. Come on. You're, you're a modern woman. You've got your own job. You moved to a new town. You need you somebody dance to with hang anyone. shelves, Travis. You need uh, someone. It's hard to hang shelves, you know? It wasn't even hanging shelves. It was attaching a bookcase to the wall. He, so he like, shows over. up, and he's not interested in hanging the shelves. I mean, that that's not... That's my least interesting observation about this movie, but let's just be clear. <laughs> he does not care about shelves. He, he's a he looks at it for like two seconds and he's like, I'm going to need more stuff. Yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back. Uh, I'm too tired to after the, the sex we've like, had to yeah. hang shelves. <laughs> he's not your, books, your books have to, to stay on the floor shelves. a little yeah. longer. Yeah. Actually, um, I think there are books on the floor later on yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because I will say, in terms of visual language that Vard is using here, um, when we at the beginning of the film, all our shots are uh, slow, uh, you know, pans, tilts, um, mediums. Everyone's in a two shot because it's all about this like togetherness, um, pastoral, nice and flowing shots, wide shots. Um, the editing is very kind of like it fades, not fades to black because this right. is happiness. So we fade to colors. So colors that match our mood, colors that match our season, colors that match the French flag very subliminally. Um, but then when we get into the his working with Emily or working on Emily, I guess, um, the, the editing style and the shot structure, mm. it becomes very modern in terms of its style. Yep. So it's almost like Le Point Court with you have this very naturalistic stuff com- with this very thought out, composed uh, other version. So it's almost visually you're seeing it's a different life. It's a different way. So you have these quick cuts that are happening all the time and you have these, you know, he glances at this. So the shot is a glance. So it's a quick cut. And. They're, they're composed in really close-ups or really odd angles or um, nothing is nothing is always making like it's a, it's a it's a visual juxtaposition to the visual life he has with Therese when he's with uh, when he's with uh, Emily and it's so that becomes very fascinating because as the film progresses that modern style slowly goes away per visit and the shot structure becomes the same as the shot structure with Therese by mm. the end. And it's, 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 a. Uh, this is why, you know, that she knows exactly what the hell she's doing with this film, that this wasn't an accident. This wasn't you over reading into the text. She is telling <laughs> something specific. Um, I read a great piece in, uh, uh, it's a book on 
uh, feminism in film. I can't oh, remember. The... Is it to, 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 to desire, desire differently? differently? Yes. yes. That, I mean, that's the only um, piece that I've read on this movie where I was like, yes, yeah. thank you. Because it starts with uh, one, of Ag- one of Agnes Varda's greatest and most misunderstood films. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And he talks about how he shows this in his student classes. And asks what they see, and he goes, "This starts fight the fights every single semester, with the people who think this, think that. And they all fight on whether she killed herself or whether she was accidental." And then it became a it became a point that he wrote this essay based on that, and he talks about he goes one step further into diving into uh, it's a lady. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Is a lady who wrote that? Yeah, Sandy Flitterman Lewis. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know. I might be confusing the author with another article I read, so that might be my fault. My apologies, Sandy. Um, <laughs> if you were listening to this podcast, <laughs> oh, Sandy, will you come on our show? <laughs> if you are, yes, please come on our show and let's talk. Um, but um, she talks about it in such a way that uh, it's about. Um, the evolution of the species and survival of the fittest. And you just, uh, you know, as animals uh, grow and change, one is killed and the next one is replaced with the next one kind of thing. And it's a fascinating article because it does get into a whole different thing and it ties the stru- it ties the, the subtext of the film into the, uh, the, the footage we see on television it ties it into the animals we see at the zoo. Yeah, the Renoir film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Renoir film, the, the picnic, a day of her picnic or something like that. Um, well, it's like, I mean... <laughs> picnic in the grass. I don't know how you could... Again, like, that to me is so obvious. Like, she brings him food at a picnic, like, just like in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then she's she's like please just tell me more. And he's like, what do you want me to talk about? And she's like, I don't care. I just like to hear your voice. Yeah. And then he just like start, it starts like rambling, you know, mansplaining whatever it is that he wants to talk about to her. Like it's the most, I mean, I, I don't think this movie is like blatant. Uh, like, I don't think it's like spell. I actually, I, I watched strange world, the new Disney movie this weekend. Um, and that is a movie that spells out every single thing to you to oh, the point where there are characters that are like, we're not talking about the thing that we're talking about anymore, are we? <laughs> like well, It's like so that, obvious. So, that's so the problem don't, with modern d- movies. Yeah, but so don't get me wrong about this this movie. But I, but like a scene like that, I'm just like, what what are people missing here? Like how, how do you not yeah. understand what's going on in this movie? I don't understand it. But well, yeah, no, like, you're right. I mean, that's the thing about modern movies. Like, and I guess that's the question about this film is, you know, there is this perception out there and I think it's true. I think it can be like oversold a little bit um, and gen- overgeneralized into like filmdom in general. But I think there certainly are people who think like, if your movie doesn't explicitly condemn certain behavior, then it's endorsing that behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I do wonder, like, with this movie, to me, there's no other way to read this film, but it's certainly true that, like, this guy gets away with it in the end, quote-unquote. Oh, completely. You know, he's living the life that he wants to lead. I mean, just the fact that, in her history 
of making films, both both prior and moving forward, she's never had a male lead. She usually always is telling a story from a women's perspective. So to completely cut out all point of view of any of the female characters in this film, like it's rare that we're not with him. And the few times we are without him, it's 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 mundane. It's usually women doing stuff for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's women's work for for their for his benefit, preparing dinner or something like that. It has that Jean Dielman vibe of its preparation and repetitiveness to please a man, and then you know it's it's so it's exactly what it is. It's basically it's yeah. I I don't know how you can't especially now. Like I I'm so surprised. Like this should be for every like. <laughs> This is like one of those movies that, you know, for every person out there that loves something like, uh, um, uh, oh my God, I, I just had the movie in my head and now I'm totally blanking on it, uh, with, uh, just forget it. I want to say Pretty Young Things, but that's not the name of that movie. Uh, promising um, Young Woman. Promising Young Woman. Gee, thank you so much for that. Like anyone who likes a promising young woman, anyone who likes any of the more very modern uh, feminist statements, uh, Me Too movies, like this is one of those movies yeah. that should fall completely squarely in the wheelhouse and be like, this should be re re put out and everyone should be watching it again it's perfectly fits our modern time and that's what makes it so incredibly sad is that it had nothing has changed enough to make this movie not still mean something yeah let me just go on a rant about that movie i hate that movie i <laughs> I'm sorry. But the men get away with it again. Well, that that's first of all, like who wants to watch her get strangled to death? Sorry, I'm spo- I just spoiled promising. Don't watch that movie. It's terrible. But like, <laughs> why would you do that in that movie? <laughs> like what is wrong with you? Who wants to watch that? But anyway, I mean, I think like the other thing about that movie and the reason why this movie isn't that movie in terms of like being embraced by yep. certain people is that there's no danger in that movie. Like there's nothing to like make you ultimately there's nothing to make you think like that is a movie that is for people who agree with that movie and she doesn't like the fact that she's not killing these guys Mm. i mean come on like you're going to all that trouble just to like give them like a a mom talk about how they shouldn't do that well that's the thing right because i mean you're you're, you never sing to their level it's 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 i understand what you're saying completely and that, but that's the thing. Like, no one likes to not have their movies ex- like put in a spoon and put gently into their mouth. Yeah, and nothing can be naughty. Like, you not, can no. you can't possibly say like this is both something that is true and also something that makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Completely. And I think that that is definitely something. I mean, my hope is that audiences don't actually feel that way and that if they were confronted with movies that made them uncomfortable that they would actually respond to them i mean certainly not um the general public but i think people who are who actually are interested in engaging with movies my hope is that they would respond to them and i know that 
obviously like a small portion of them do and watch older movies for that very reason and foreign films for that very reason but like there is this perception in american film and not even mainstream film actually i think it's worse in indie film where like you are they're no longer making movies that make you uncomfortable or that are outside of the mainstream they're making the movies that hollywood is no longer making anymore and mm-hmm. and they're just trying to make like a nice rom-com and it's like i like rom-coms and that's great but like i think paramount should be making the rom-coms like i don't yeah. i don't need somebody with like a camera and twenty thousand dollars to like show me two people like having a meet cute like give me something no. that i can't get from the capitalist structure that has been built up around our films um and and ultimately like that i guess that just to get back to <laughs> all side <laughs> side conversation but like that's what varda was fighting against when she like made up this story about how this movie is about happiness like completely she she knew that like you can't actually like make a movie about the thing that she wanted to make a movie about and so she made this separate movie it's oh, amazing yeah. to me that like she was able to do that she was able to lie about it but like she was able to actually pull that off that that people could watch this movie and say oh this is a movie about like what happiness means to you which like it's so obviously not what it is um and then that she wrote it in only like a few days which is what she says but it's wild to me i mean there's so many little detail like even i was watching the beginning of it the other day and like when the way that that they go from like he turns out of this like beautiful idyllic idyllic paradise of their like where they're having this picnic and he he literally like just drives up into like tati's playtime oh completely where they live in this like it, it and then they arrive and she's got these flowers that she like handpicked in nature and she gives them to his aunt um who's who uh you know i think that it's their their car um and the the aunt says like oh um i don't need these i have uh i have i have my own flowers in my garden outside <laughs> like yeah it's these little like small points that i mean that there's this is a really dense film there's there's something really happening behind every single exchange in it completely I agree with you 100% about the state of cinema now. And <laughs> I mean, we had this conversation last time we touched on this. It, the idea was cinema clubs. Like, people are losing their losing the ability to allow movies to uh, exist without having to have everything explained to them. Um, and, I mean, we watched... <laughs> I watched the other night with my daughter death on the nile the new one kind of brana mm. and there's a part in the movie where this guy just says everyone's backstory out loud and my daughter goes who's that guy and i said well that's senor exposition <laughs> and and it just made me laugh and so now she thinks about that every time i go i go movies think you're dumb so they're trying to tell you things and because you they don't think you can figure it out and i it's it's so frustrating because when you do come across something like this in which it leaves it completely up to you 
to dig in. And that is absolutely fantastic to be treated with respect. Like movies, a lot of times don't treat you with the respect you deserve. Um, and they spoon feed a lot of stuff to you. And I love that. It's, 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 it's absolutely fantastic because you're absolutely right. There's so much stuff that happens in this film that upon repeated viewings, you find to just, there's a reason why it's there. There's a reason why someone is saying this line. Every line has a reason. There's a reason why that guy comes in and says, how much is a call to Tel Aviv? I haven't figured out why yet, but I'm sure there's an exact reason why he interrupts that conversation to ask that question. And I just don't know enough about French history or like, and you know, I totally forgot about that line. And I laughed for like five minutes at that line. Oh, the recent time that I watched this because like, if you go into a place and you ask how much that is, and then she doesn't even say how much it is. She just says it's expensive. And then <laughs> he, he just leaves. He doesn't like, do anything wh- about it. Like, why are... <laughs> you must have to call Tel Aviv. Yeah, like, if they're, you're rushing in there to ask, the, <laughs> interrupting a conversation. Obviously, there's something going on that you need to call Tel Aviv about. No, well, but the, great... the thing is, that guy is just in his own movie. Exactly. Like he's in his own happiness world. Well, and there's like... a great there's a great line later um, where uh, Francois is talking to Emily, and he says it's after it's after Teresa's died, and he says I'm taking them on a vacation, and when we get back, I mm. want you to be in their lives. And he she says this this is my, this cracks me up every time. I've seen them. They're nice looking kids. <laughs> I've seen them. They're nice looking kids. Like, let's do this thing. But she says it like the line itself. When you say it, it sounds like you're like, yeah, I've seen them. They're nice looking kids. Whatever. But the way she's saying it in his like warped perspective makes it sound like the most beautiful thing in the world. Like she's totally accepting of them, and it's so messed up. Oh, it's so good. And then they go. And then they go on the vacation. And the only thing we see from the vacation is the photo a photograph instagram like happy kink style people take pictures of each other (laughs) happy everyone's happy yeah and there's no nothing else was remembered from that vacation except being happy like oh my goodness man it's uh it's absolutely fantastic um all the way through um just yeah the (laughs) conversation the conversations at the in at the uh in the wood shop where he's working where no, I've never worked in a, I've never worked in a blue collar place where there isn't a bunch of guys swearing and talking shit about each other all day, and to have them all just like smiling, cooking food for each other. Let's drink some wine while we have this. Should we eat outside or inside? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That was an interesting thing too. In the in the round table, they were talking about how these guys are like artists, which yeah. and not workers. I guess, I mean, I get the idea that, like, they're not working in factories, for sure. Um, but there was this idea that this was the only type of, you know, they didn't have to worry about, like, politics or, um, you know, any sort of struggle or anything like that. And to me, like, that all, all that stuff was 
eliminated from their exchanges because the the idea of the movie is that they are completely oblivious to the world around them i mean it, it, yeah. one one other way that she talked about what happiness meant to her was like innocence and i think that is the kind reading of francois in this film that like there is kind of two ways you can read um you know male obliviousness to sexist behavior either their own or other people's and again i don't know what my blind spots are so that probably i probably have that happen to me um when i don't know it but like you can read it as them truly thinking that women are beneath them or you could just read it as like they have no idea you know, we as men just have no idea what it's like to be a woman in this society. And we've had certain things handed to us that we take for granted in terms of either, you know, our day to day existence or larger issues of finance, mobility, social uh, cachet, you know, like these are all things that that, you know, I'm to use a smaller like a comparison of a smaller example like i'm six three like there are certain things i as a tall person (laughs) (laughs) like get from you know people meeting me that people who are shorter don't get and like i I think that there is a way to say like francois in this movie is you know I, i i think i i really like your characterization of the death scene you know, finding her body as him sort of like acting out what the proper emotions are in that situation. But I think there is still like a genuine way to read that scene as him being super sad, like, Mm -hmm. and really like, you know, sort of destroyed in that moment that like, she's gone. But you know, like his children, like a child, which is essentially what he is. I mean, he comes in like the, the, the few moments that you see him interacting with his kids, he's really like a a third child, you know, he he pretends like the bike is a horse. And when he's riding around town, he's like, never goes in a straight line. Doing lazy loops. Yeah. Or he's skipping places. Like he's just never, you know, he's, he's definitely, definitely has like a child component to him. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I guess I think a kind reading of, of him is simply that he's oblivious to all of this stuff. Well, isn't that like, isn't that one of those, uh, uh, isn't that one of those, uh, quaint sayings, something like, uh, I'm totally blanking on everything I'm about to say this time. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a happiness is, uh, happiness is, uh, a warm gun? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's what a I think that's what a Vard is saying. But, uh, <laughs> uh, happiness is uh, is is not knowing anything. Is uh, oh, ignorance is ignorance bliss? is bliss. <laughs> Jesus, God Almighty! You know wow. what? I used all my I used all of my stuff and all the games of like catchphrase we were playing all during the New Year's break. All my brain is gone. <laughs> Yeah, ignorance is bliss. Like, isn't that exactly what it is? I have no yeah. idea what's going on in the world. 
Ah, oh, see, now I want to look up that Tel Aviv thing. Like, what if that, like, was a huge, like, yeah. some terrorist thing that was happening in that exact <laughs> moment? And, like, that's why the guy was like, I need to get in touch with Tel Aviv. Right, and that's true. But it was too expensive. He couldn't do it. Too much. Yeah, he just walked away. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was trying to get at here. Ignorance is bliss. Everything like nothing like if you don't think about it, it doesn't it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't hurt you, and you can just keep moving on, and it's infectious. Like you just get everyone else thinking about it. But there's yeah. another there's another rare moment. Oh my god! See, so the moment where they're they're all at the table eating outside at Francois's brother's house. The new babies finally come yeah. home, and they're having this moment of everyone. Uh, they're popping a bottle of champagne and the baby cries and the woman stands up to go get the baby and her husband says i'll go get her and that is literally the only time in this movie where a man does anything Hmm. that is even considered slightly modern like let me go get her uh you sit down but you know it's only basically just to bring her so she can feed, which yeah. is exactly like that idea of a woman, uh, like an old lady going, oh, look at what a great dad he is. When literally he's doing the least possible <laughs> that anyone could do, which is let me literally carry the baby to give to you so you can breastfeed the baby. And let me hold you like a prize so everyone can clap for me. But really, I'm not now not going to do anything. And then they toast to the baby. This is what drives me crazy. They <laughs> toast to the baby, and Therese looks at Francois and just says, Francois, which makes me go, oh, my God. He's so deluded that he can't even let the baby girl get a toast without him being concluded with his name from his wife. <laughs> like, that is fucked up. Like, and, and so, like, if you if you look at this as, like, this is, like, this is, like, just a complete, like, delusional fantasy of like some like serial killer like that has he's his family doesn't exist everyone's already dead and it's just him sitting there with their bodies thinking about the perfect <laughs> life he lives and none of it is real like everyone is dead already because he's just a complete like has a complete psychotic break and this is the fantasy world <laughs> he's living in in his padded cell like that's how that's how like structured Varda has made this film that every yeah. single thing can be twisted into an insidious little weird moment of delusion. <laughs> like that's how like like <laughs> I think my notes say here I wouldn't be surprised if this guy has a skin suit in his closet. <laughs> like I have that as one of my notes because that's how much this person is just so self-deluded about things. It's really I really wish at, Anya's Varda was still alive, I would make every effort in my power to reach out to her and say, can we really talk about this movie now yeah. that it's, like, all over? Like, <laughs> not now that, like, everyone knows you're the best person ever and your films are fantastic, can we have an honest discussion about, like, why no one sat down with her and said, let's have a really deep dive yeah. into this movie with you? Like, every, like... It's like it's like John Carpenter getting sick and tired of people wanting to talk about Halloween. It's like she's probably like, "Yes, fine, we'll talk about Clear from five to seven Madonna." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's t- funny though because she, I mean she's pretty straightforward about what Clear five to seven 
is yeah. about. Like she goes into very explicit detail about how the structure of the film informs the way that she is being perceived and then the way Mm -hmm. that she perceives like it's very straightforward and then this movie comes up and she's like bah you know it's about what like what does happiness mean to you ultimately yeah it's almost like she's like with her line of answers she's saying i want you to think about this yeah i'm not gonna tell you i mean uh, the your skin suit comment i guess like what i what my question <laughs> sorry, sorry. my question about that is like i guess is this because i think this movie is not about like one guy yeah so like well he's is the implication he's francois that, he's well, french totally that was i was that was totally on the tip of my tongue for sure the is the implication here that like any guy could have a skin suit in his closet well i like, mean it generally usually is guys who have skin suits in their closets. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, and there, I mean, I th- certainly think like, you know, there is the deeper you dive into, you know, especially society pre-1970, Western society pre-1970, um, it, it, there's a lot of sociopathic shit going on. I mean, mm-hmm. there really is, like, I don't think we can fully comprehend as people who were born after women were able to have their own bank accounts when they were married. Um, like how different society was and like how, how, you know, a movie like this meant something very different than it does today. And, and obviously like there's still plenty far we have to come and, um, you know, the worst of the worst is still just as bad as it ever was. Um, if not, you know, <clears throat> worse than it was in the, yeah. in the seventies with, uh, rec- some recent developments. Um, so like, it's kind of hard to comprehend. Um, and I think this, I mean, the, the Francois France connection for me, like she's talking about something pretty pretty large here it's not just about like pay attention to your wife yeah i think you're right i think it is it is a bigger a bigger topic that she's trying to cover um between the francois france being a you know a a quick way to understand that he uh, is representative and not an actual person using a, a at that time a semi-famous television star who everyone had known for being like this Robin Hood type character on TV that was piping into everyone's homes at that time. Yeah. Also is a statement because usually she's casting in a way that is pretty low key. You know, she's, she's picked this person for a reason. So, and that he still doesn't understand why he was picked is pretty, fabulous at this point but um the flashes of color um also very symbolic for france it's the french flag at some point where the color flashes happen um and just the overall idea of what men's function in society is according to what their idea is based on 
everything we've seen and heard and what we read and what we watch on TV and what movies we watch. And it's all a function of what we've been told how the ideal man is supposed to be for both women to admire and men to aspire is everything that is a lot in what she's saying in this movie you know because there is a lot of iconography around and there's a lot of billboards and advertising in this movie yeah there's even an advertisement uh i only caught it because they made mention of it in that roundtable discussion that there's an advertisement for television uh watch it with you know watch and help your yeah. children grow and learn uh at the post office and <clears throat> It then they say, you know, at that point, television was a state funded thing. So now you also have to take that into consideration. It's, again, the propagation of a state message of De Gaulle at that time, which is the family unit is the most valued and precious thing. All these other rights is not correct. Women should be in the home. Men should be at work. Um, you know, let's get things back to kind of a, uh, a traditional values kind of role which was a very, we had that, uh, we've had that as a touchstone a bunch of times in different presidencies and different administrations as well. Um, It always seems to be this clarion call to to families, uh, to certain groups, certain types of people that, you know, we need to get back to how things were. Yeah, well, that's what it comes down to, right? Certain types of people. Yeah. I, I think the other thing, like, and I do want to talk about the colors um and the uh sort of we've been harping on the the themes of this movie a lot because that's really uh a big it's big it's a big issue um yeah the story is very is is very tiny yes well but but i also think there's a lot to talk about from the from a technical perspective here Mm -hmm. um but the but i i did want to uh do my usual uh, thing and bring up Godard here um, because I, the one thing I did find really interesting in um, Tobin's uh, essay was her comparison of this movie to um, uh, two or three things I know about her. Um, and to me, the specific sequences of the disembodied hands the mechanical way in which household chores are depicted here um and you know that's mirrored with both women uh therese and then um emily at the end um did remind me of that film and this does feel a lot like uh you know she's got this larger uh, societal thing playing but there is a little bit of like a a Godard dig here too to me <laughs> like there is a little like I do feel like she's thinking about the 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 French New Wave films that are surrounding her and you know she's got a bit of like obviously with with the fiance's um from Cleo, like she's got a little bit of like a uh, a nudge, yeah, uh, in Godard's side, and I feel like she's doing that a little bit here, and I quite enjoy it. Oh yeah, I mean, I think she's also. I mean, it's so funny too because 
you have a whole generation of this French New Wave who are saying that, you know, uh, French films are shit and you need to embrace American films and, you know, this whole idea of uh, um, cinephilia and, you know, they're talking all this trash and then they don't really they don't really dissect what makes French film so bad in their articles. They just talk shit. <laughs> and so, cause I mean, if you look at it, there's no like really intellectual breakdowns of why French cinema at that time is, is not something to embrace. Uh, you, it becomes more of kind of like punk rock. Like, well, they did talk about it in the 50. I mean like the cinema the, of quality in and, the fifties. Yeah. I mean, I think it, Kaye was really focused on like positive reviews, um, especially around this this era. Um, but yeah, no, I hear what yeah. you're saying. So she, uh, Varda, says, "Well, here, let me make an intelligent dissection of what is wrong with those films. Let me put Renoir up on the screen and say, okay, let's yeah. take this movie and let me show you." the flip side of you know of that and let me take an intelligent dissection of this this idea of romance in the pastoral of french cinema which there is a you know there is a it's almost a genre of french films these city folk getting out into the country and reconnecting with nature type films and she does a complete and total like <laughs> just this is this is why this is what is wrong, and it's from the get-go. It's, this is, you know, we're looking at this all the wrong way. You're rebelling against something. You don't know what you're rebelling against. Here's what I'm rebelling against. Yeah. And I'm going to give you the most French pastoral film <laughs> in the history of them, and you're not going to see all the rot underneath until you, unless you really know what you're looking for. And it's absolutely, you know... This is this is a this is more of an ambiguous societal rot film than Blue Velvet could ever be, and I love Blue Velvet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you yeah. don't need the shot of the worms underneath the ground. Like every single thing is tinged with some sort of wrongness in it. There also feel like to me, I guess the thing that that strikes me is that like in a lot of the early 60s work from people like Godard and Truffaut and a little bit Romer, although he hadn't made most of his features yet, um, there's this, like, mystery to women. Like, there's mm. this sense of, like, you know, you can't really figure them out. Um, certainly Catherine and Jules and Jim, like, she's... I think there's a convincing reading of her as like somebody who is a tragic figure who was really trying to be understood and wasn't able to you know get through to the hard-headed morons that she was associated yeah. with but i think ultimately the way that the movie depicts her is as this like big question mark and a little bit of a nutcase um well, yeah there's the and yeah. and this movie is really kind of shaking you and saying like this isn't hard like you just need to pay attention <laughs> mm -hmm. and i i don't think like 
that message necessarily got through to everybody that it was directed at. Yeah, you, you don't need to. It's not a mystery if you ask if you ask direct questions and yeah. listen to the responses and right. act on them. It's it's a uh, it's absolutely like you know like you've said like you've said a few times and I haven't pointed out my blind spots that I'm still always working on and trying to figure out you know that's 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 everyone is a work in progress and if you stop trying to work on yourself then you are becoming Francois and you're just living with it however you're like I'm done things are too hard I don't want to better myself anymore because bettering myself is tiring and I'm just going to ride out this level I've reached I'm fine with level 67 I don't want to get to 100 (laughs) I'm tired and I'm done so it's it's a it's eye opening when we watch a movie like this that opens up three or four more levels of understanding and talking and it's one of those it's one of those films that you just want to you want to grab people and be like you need to watch this like yeah. <laughs> like everyone Well, needs to I'm watch certainly going to show it to my movie. son, you know. Oh, completely. I mean, I I think I'm showing it to my son and my daughter. Like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I but I honestly like I think that this is a movie that men need to watch um mm-hmm. because I do think hopefully it does open up that conversation of like what are you maybe missing? You know, I mean, I like I think of myself as a more enlightened man than my dad or uh you know my wife's dad certainly my grandparent my grandfather's uh for sure um and my dad's pretty enlightened like i'm not trying to trash on him but like he doesn't do the dishes you know like that's just a very simple example no one wants to do the dishes no one (laughs) nobody wants to do the dishes no one likes dishes right well but that's the thing (laughs) that's why you both have to do them right because nobody enjoys it i mean i i I think like i use that as like a very sort of like low stakes example of Mm -hmm. the kind of thing i'm talking about but like i i think you know the more you can kind of say okay like what am i doing every single moment (laughs) to try yeah. to do something better and if you you know are confronted with something are you really going to think about it or are you going to get defensive or are you just going to you know brush it off and pretend like you're go back to your happy reality where you don't have to think about it i mean that's the thing like you know it's that it's the it's the 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 mental weight of you know the clutter in your mind of you know I've got to do this. Like there's a responsibility to do this. And some of those things are things that are put on women that are, I would hope nobody feels like they need the responsibility to do. Like, for example, I don't think anybody should send holiday cards at Christmas, (laughs) (laughs) but like most of it is stuff that just needs to get done. And, you know, it, for, generations now it's fallen on women to do those things and there is not a responsibility on the part of men to really break through that barrier and say like and see that that thing is getting done and i think that's where like gene dealman really comes into um play here and is a you know very um simpatico film with this film because this this is the flip side in a lot of ways of Gene Dealman. This is the 
you know, Gene Dealman is saying like, see this, this is something that you've never seen before. Even if it's going on right in front of your face, you haven't seen this. And this movie is saying like, this is what your existence is. And if you're able to like, you know, really engage with this movie, you start to see like, this is not a real reality. This is, you know, I, the, my uh, original writing on this movie when I first saw it, what I ended it with, um, welcome to paradise, Francois, pay no attention to the woman behind the curtain. And I do feel like this is a movie about, you know, this is, this is the movie you watch before Gene Dealman. You're saying mm-hmm. like, you're blind and now I'm going to show you like what you're blind to. Oh, it's, a. Uh... It definitely is, it definitely is something that everyone needs to behold. Like it's, um, this, yeah, this should be, this should be the entry that is in the sight and sound list. This should be the entry that it should be in that top 10. Cause it's, a, uh, it's super important. It's, a, uh, it's, it is completely revelatory. Like you can't. You can't not be, unless you want to completely be a Francois, you can't not be changed <laughs> by this, by this film. You can't, you cannot not see it and be like, oh my, like this is, this is something that <laughs> like, am I, am I taking my wife for granted? Am I taking my family for granted? Am yeah. I not, if you don't, yeah, you have to, you have, you see this and it's, it's, you know. Well, this is really where it comes full circle, I guess, because I, I do I guess when you, cause I think you're totally right. Like it, the question is like, do you want to or not want to be a Francois? Mm-hmm. That, that's the ignorance is bliss thing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, or like the red pill, blue pill, whatever metaphor you want to use. Like that to me, I guess that's where Varda is correct in the sense of like this movie being about like what happiness is or like what happiness looks like, because there is this sense of like, what if, what she's saying here is that like in order to be happy, you have to be a person who has human skins hanging in your closet. Yeah. You know, like you, in order to not care. Yeah. You don't care about other people basically. Yeah. You live in your little tiny bubble and you don't, you, you don't open your up yourself to the rest of the world. And that's that. And the people and the people you do decide to bring in, you know, you, 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 have to turn them into your way of thinking otherwise you're going to be challenged and to be challenged is also not to be happy because you're gonna there's a great quote she writes uh, in one of her little featurette pieces that she did on this movie and she writes something along the lines of why is it whenever people talk about happiness they talk about it with sad eyes Mm. and i think that's that's a a very apt metaphor for this movie it's uh it it there the idea of happiness is as <laughs> is as completely unattainable as this garden of eden type metaphor that this movie is you know this perfect paradise where nothing goes wrong and there is no conflict and nothing like there's no stakes and there's no arguments and there's no problems and everything works out for everyone 
until it doesn't but even then how quickly we just move on and everything is just fine i mean look we took a vacation without without Therese and everything was great and now should they have a new mom and we're going to hold hands and walk away from the camera in our matching sweaters and it's all going to be good as long as we look good it's all going to be good yeah it's like, it's although almost... <clears throat> it's fall right yeah everything's dead everything's I dying mean, the, yeah i did want to talk about the sunflowers a little bit i mean oh, yeah. i think just that generally speaking like the um the in the idea that she was you know thinking about the impressionists mm-hmm. i don't know how to pull that into the the sense of um you know thematic like what she's really getting at in this I movie mean, i mean i guess but i don't could... necessarily know that like it matters that much i mean, I mean she you... certainly was approaching this with a painterly eye well and you can look at it on the on, a, on the most basic of surface is that Oh, that looks pretty until you get really close yeah. and you see how fucking like just messed up all the paint right. is. Like and nothing looks that pretty when you when you really look hard at it. Yeah. Um, well, and it's it's fleeting too. I mean the mm-hmm. the sunflower that, you know, she's cutting back to the the sunflower and it's perfect grandeur and then as it's slowly decaying, um, mm-hmm. you know, as they're walking up to it, um there is this sense of like i don't you know nothing lasts forever in the cold november rain i guess you know what made me laugh this on this third viewing was the cutting of that sequence at the opening with her with them walking the sunflower walking sunflower walking towards camera all i could think about was monty python and the holy grail the scene of the the knight running up to the castle and they keep on cutting from the knights to to the guards <laughs> to him to the guards to him and there's no progress being made <laughs> and that's all i could think about with this one was like it doesn't look like they're actually getting anywhere closer in the camera between the cuts they almost it almost looks like she takes them back like three or four frames every time she cuts back like it looks like they're moving forward but really they're kind of walking in place a bit for a while it's uh yeah it's very it's it's very jarring it's a weird jarring opening to a film which also is like it's almost like she's giving you your lesson to start with pay attention things aren't going to be what they seem look at look at this look at how i'm I'm not letting you look really hard and you're trying to see this progression, but you're not going to get what you want in this film. Like, yeah, it's a little bit like Cleo, right? Yeah. Like she's, she's telling you what the movie is going to be before she shows it to you. Mm-hmm. All in a credit sequence. Both times. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention was my idea for a new genre that I'm working on. And I'd love for people to give me suggestions um, as to what else would go in this genre, but it's uh, it it only has uh, two movies in it. It's this and the swimmer, the um, oh, Burt Lancaster, Burt Lancaster film. movie, yeah, the, and the the genre is it's Frank a beautiful Perry. day. Parentheses, I'm dying inside. <laughs> and I think it's like my favorite genre, it's but like... I can't think of any other movie. So please give me suggestions for my new genre. Wow, um, and, and the films obviously thematically also work together as well. They're about uh, sexist, delusional men living their own fantasy until things come crashing down. Oh, that's so good. 
Yeah, um, that's a, yeah. So I mean, the the other thing we 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 were gonna talk about is we were gonna talk about the uh, the color. Yes. Uh, and at first, I tried really hard to start putting together a color theory, because um, I was like, okay, well, look, the kids are in red. He's in he's in this color. She's in that color. So let's see how this plays out. And the only thing I came close to as kind of like it continues in theme is. You know, when Francois meets Emily, they're both in blue. And at some point later in the movie, um, remember the kids are wearing red at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. That's their color. And towards a certain point in the movie when Emily takes over and picks them up from school, there's a blue coat over their red outfits. Like <laughs> It's almost like she's taking them over. And she actually takes a red like sweater or jacket that the that the daughter has, Jero, and uh, they and she stuffs it in her bag, like, kind of like, getting rid of it. And then the other, the only other thing thematic, like that was the only thing I could do color wise because there's so much color in this film. Yeah, there is. Well, even like uh, early in the movie, Therese, need to map it. Uh, I mean, their their house, their bedroom is blue, is blue as well, mm-hmm. and Therese has a. A blue dress that like matches it exactly that she yeah. takes off i think it might be like her um her house cody thing yeah, right? yeah yeah she blends right in yeah yeah and then same with same with uh emily she blends into her her surroundings as well and yeah it's very it's a uh, i really did like the at the beginning it's it's francois the two kids holding hands and then Therese on the outside so it's two parents with the two kids in the middle and the last shot of the movie is the two kids on the outside and Mm. Francois and Emily Emily in the center which made me then go oh my god so that's the end of those kids. <laughs> They're already on the outside of this relationship. Right. Got to make more kids. Well, you got to make, make more kids yep. because these kids aren't her kids and she right. needs to have her kids. And that'll be the end of those kids. And it's it's kind of a, it's a really kind of disturbing image to think about when you think about the first shot. Two parents yeah. protecting the youth and then now the kids are on the outside because they're going to have to have their own kids in between their hands. I mean, the ending of this movie is so disturbing. I can't imagine watching it and thinking that this movie is endorsing this behavior. Right? I don't you know. I, like, I'm sorry to like harp on this, but it's just like when people talk about this movie, I feel like I'm being like gaslit. I do. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm just like, what movie were you watching? Well, it's or, it's or am I crazy? No, like, what's I think, going? On? I think it's hard because you do have a you have a generation of both men and women, they were all raised with the same values of the men do this, the women do that, and that's that's how it is. So you have a whole gener like not to I'm not speaking, you know, I'm sure there's people that are completely different from this. And Agnes obviously Agnes Varner is one of them. But like I I think about my mom when I think about this movie. I think about my mom saying things like uh, well, could you come over? I, uh, I need you to fix this gate. And my daughter saying things like, why does dad need to come over? Just get a tool. You don't need a man. You need a tool. <laughs> and and there's a whole generation of that. Like, well, I don't know how to do that because I don't have a guy. Or, oh, well, no, that's that's women's work. 
And there's a whole generation, many generations, probably way too many generations at this point, but in our in our world right now, there's generations of people that that's still the way it is. And so as yeah. probably a film critic that was raised in the 50s and 60s and writing about this movie in the 70s or the 80s, if you haven't confronted that aspect about yourself, of course you're still thinking about it in those really weak terms yeah like, even, even if you think that's wrong like you don't necessarily see it in this movie i guess yeah even that round table discussion like like you said there's a woman that's coming from a, a, a like a whole group about you know uh building women up you're not whores or uh or uh submissives submissives yeah. you know even that she's still like kowtowing sometimes to some of the male opinions in the room and the dude that's smoking a cigarette next to the older lady, like that guy is just like, dude, you're so far off. I don't know what you're talking about right now, but you shouldn't be saying this right now. And I, and I'm sure Anya Svarda is like gleeful behind the camera listening to this guy yeah. talk about this because she makes it very clear in the introduction card is like intellectuals is what she puts it as. Uh, get a round table of intellectuals it's like on the title card <laughs> and then there's these people talking about the movie and some of it is so far off base that it must be like you know even then she's like see people still don't understand what the hell i'm talking about here it's just it's, look how fascinating this is watch these yeah. people like wiggle around and try to figure out like you know, one guy says, well, boredom is the point of this movie. You know, you're supposed to be bored, so you kind of, like, you know, you understand. Like, but you don't get to a point in that. Like, it's not about boredom. It's about there is no heavy plot, so you're forced to kind of go, well, what's going on here? Yeah, right. And ask a question because yeah. there is no plot. I think that's true. Like, the simplicity of it allows you to, like, look at the actual things that they're saying to each other and the interactions that are happening yeah and that is what the movie is about yeah it's a it's a i'm so sad that this has come so late in my life i wish it came earlier but not too much earlier <laughs> if this came when i was just starting to watch film i would have been like what the hell was this about this is stupid and i probably might not have i might not have understood it I might not have had the emotional or mental or just intellectual um, rigor that I've, you know, kind of made my, you know, uh, forced, I don't know, forced, but kind of like really worked at in on myself over the years. You know, it takes that I need to see, you know, this is a perfect movie that goes into the movie empathy machine, you know, hey, everyone. This is how you build empathy towards others is you watch these films that help you understand what the world, what these differing viewpoints, what these differing lives, these other gen genders, like just everything. And this is one of those movies that is like like a prime uh, now becomes my linchpin in my empathy machine film series and I'm I'm glad I have witnessed it i'm glad that i have taken it in and i i would like to think that when if i saw it when i was younger it would have fixed a lot of things that took me way too long to correct in myself in my life but at the same time 
I also think that I wasn't emotionally capable yeah. of understanding it back then anyway. So I'm glad I've seen it now at this juncture in my life that I can then hopefully help teach the, my next generation or the people around me the same lessons I'm learning from this film. Yeah, amen. I, I do want to say to people who um, have just listened to us uh, trash them if they don't if they didn't get this <laughs> message from the movie like maybe maybe we're crazy i don't know i don't think we are but i don't maybe. think we are but if you didn't <laughs> just get go it, back and watch the movie go please. back and watch it again don't feel bad don't think yeah we're don't a bunch feel of assholes they're making me feel stupid no nope, yeah nope, that's not what we're trying to do yeah i hope we, not we want everyone to watch this movie again with clear eyes and really listen to what varda is trying to say and I think that's that's the message I would like this uh, taken out of here in this uh, yeah this time. Also, like who like go back and watch it anyway because it's beautiful oh, and it's, it's gorgeous. You know, yeah, it's fun to watch. But it, it, it's yeah, it's gorgeous in a weird like uh, candy floss kind of way. Yeah, yeah everything totally. is too pretty, and you start to see that after a while. Wow, yeah, everything's too pretty here. Well, there is. I mean, one thing we we've mentioned a couple of moments that are super funny here, but like it is kind of a funny movie even though it is a horror oh, yeah. film ultimately like there is certainly like a uh like a, a terrifying aspect to it but it's also like kind of hilarious in in how like dark it is like it's got a lot of gallows humor in it in my opinion oh. and it's a lot of visual humor i think there's a point where uh Therese is asking him if you want to go to the movies there's this one or this yes, one. Yeah. There's one with, with Bardot Moreau and Moreau. Bardo. Yeah. And he goes, she goes, which would you prefer? And he goes, oh, I don't really care. And then it just completely. No, he says you. He says you. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to choose them. I choose you. And then it cuts to a, like a giant wall of Brigitte Bardot pictures that they have plastered yeah. in their work. And you're just, <laughs> it just makes you laugh because there's t- tons of times, uh, you know, I can think of times where, you know, that's that line from a uh, from a, a loved one saying something like well who are you thinking about right now and you're just like well you of course and then you're like no you weren't you weren't thinking about them rarely are you thinking about them in those types of moments you're thinking about anything else and it's it's absolutely hilarious it's totally like no you're not look this is all your bardo pictures you're totally caught like <laughs> you're, you're that's another fiction that you're just spinning about things and that's and that was one of those keys that made me turn and say, "Wait a second! All right, so yeah, because that's what the thing is. You're just waiting for this whole this whole movie for the guy to lose everything or her to find out and and have a and be mad or that's how that's how movies work. You're waiting right? for that the whole yeah. time, and so there's a tension that builds that you don't really understand why." And then it just keeps on going, and it keeps on being nothing wrong. And right. you're just like, Dude, well, I can't, I can't take this anymore. Like something, something has to give. Like give, give me something. Right. It's kind of the, again, like it's kind of the opposite of Jean Dielman, where mm-hmm. you know nothing is happening, and then all of a sudden, every like things start to slip, and then everything's happening. Yeah. And you're getting the thing at the end of the movie that you expect to get, but not in the way that you expect to get it. Yeah. And you're, yeah, and you're, you, you were, you can never go back to not seeing that movie. Yep. Like it's one of those things. Right. Before and after. And how can you, how can you go back? 
You can't go back home. Um, yeah, so you have any final thoughts or anything we haven't discussed? I mean, it's so hard to... Yeah, I mean, we I could go on and on, but I think we've we've hit on the big the big things. Yeah, I think we could so. do another another episode some other time. Well, we could just do the complete uh, people's first watches of Le Bonaire <laughs> yes. and talking to them about it, like just, totally. just different guests, just only that movie. Yes, for, yelling forever. at them about it, why <laughs> they didn't see our perspective. What do you mean? Ah, how could you think they're happy? Um, well, <laughs> I guess, uh, we should maybe let's, uh, let's have a, let's have an aperitif and talk about one more short film then, uh, before we, uh, before we close out, I guess. Yes. Salute Les Cubans. Yeah. That's, uh, she, it's another, uh, short film, uh, documentary. Um, also very much. It's it's very strange. It's uh it is it 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 echoes this movie quite spectacularly. It ties really well with it for some reason. Just all this look how great Cuba is and all these awesome people and let's talk about how much fun and their lives are, but you are you know what ends up happening and you just like, "Oh, this is hard to watch." <laughs> like some of it's really fun, but some of it you're like, "Uh, well, but she also, yeah. I mean, she doesn't shy away from, like, how terrible it was to get to that point yeah. for them, too, you know? Oh, yeah, completely. And in <coughs> yeah. her introduction to the piece, if you watch it, I try to watch her introductions after I watch the piece, but she says, like, and obviously, it was the 60s, and things have changed, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, remember, watch it in the in a 60s lens. Yeah, she made this movie. Um, she got an invitation to come and and make a film there. Um, she decided that she didn't want to bring uh, her camera and sound equipment and all that stuff. So she just was going to take pictures and create a film. She was influenced by uh, La Jetée and mm-hmm. actually Marker um, worked on this movie, is credited on it. Yeah, I think Chris Chris Marker was in the Cuban Society in France, and I think he was instrumental in getting her an invitation to yeah. go there as well. Yeah, because there's a there was kind of like a the Cuban, uh, not an appreciation society, but like a group trying to help fund and help uh, yeah. get the message out about what's the the workers' rights and the right. human rights going on. And over like, there. I mean, Sartre and um, De, Bo- De Beauvier mm-hmm. were hanging out in Cuba, living in Cuba for a while. Um, so like the French, uh, Cuban connection was very strong at this point. Um, so, you know, you could see her kind of getting swept up in the, uh, post revolution, um, party, uh, for sure in some of these photos, but also like the genuine, you know, uh, pleasure of, um, this country kind of, taking a long breath after being under the heel of uh, foreign powers for quite some time at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it is, it's a beautiful document. It, it, it is super, it's, it's so lively for still pictures. Yeah. Everything is so 
uh, always feel, feeling of movement, always feeling energy, always feeling excitement. Um, she does some fantastic stuff with the f- photographs, like whole dance sequences. I mean, songs. can you imagine editing that on a flatbed? Like, oh my god, how do how do you like? I mean, it's just so impressive. I, I don't think people like who would watch that today and think like, oh, you know, you've just got the music in one track and the pictures in another track on final cut and then you're done in a day and a half like that's hard that's (laughs) That's really hard to do editing was an art form and technical a technical feat um yeah no there's so much uh you know like matt has said it's she just took her photo camera there and so she's taking stills and then she's filming the stills and then cutting them in a way that is basically almost like a stop motion animation with them. Yeah. Um, the the dance sequences I think are really the standout oh, component of this. Like the fantastic. political stuff is fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. The the other components of it, some of it is really interesting, and she's got. I mean, she obviously she's got a great eye, so some of the pictures are really extraordinary. I did really love the art artistic uh, com- elements too, like the different. Uh, artists that she profiles mm-hmm. were really striking stuff spectacular work um but yeah the dance sequences are really impressive yeah there's some there's some when she sticks to the art stuff there's a bit of the feeling of exoticism yeah. for brown-skinned people which kind of gets a little icky when they're, and their and their film yeah i mean yeah. and their output too like the way that she talks about it for sure yeah there, there's that whole kind of like quality that kind of it's, it's that hard, uptown it's, downtown exactly attitude. and it's hard and it's hard to kind of you know even it being in the 60s you can now you, you can sit there and go well yeah but also there's the movie I am Cuba that was made. And so you can, you know that there's a lot of strife and political problems there. And to have this idea of kind of like, and it's fun too, because you could tell that she's also playing with some of those ideas still because she has the man be the one who describes women so that, and then the woman is describing like there's two narrators in the piece and it's a male voice and a female voice. Yeah. And the male voice genuine generally is the one describing things that most of the time feel like the exoticism portions, the sexism portions and the wrong headedness portions of like, uh, of, uh, someone traveling to an exotic place where the female voice seems to kind of carry the more history or this is this is the culture portion so i don't know if that was intentional or that was just my biases poking through in the piece but there was a bit of that as well which uh, you know i think he talks about all all Cuban women are curved like an S. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but then you remember it's Varda taking these photos, but you can see she's taking these photos because they're just gorgeous photos to, you know, the composition wise are working really well. And then, you know, writing something about it later, um, you're like, oh, well, okay. I guess there's, there's a bit of sexism going on here, but 
it's uh it's it's okay because it's exoticism so we're allowed to be sexist when we're talking about <laughs> people from someplace else which you know that becomes an issue with a lot of the super liberal french people um yeah <laughs> throughout i the think years. <laughs> it's funny because like yeah i think you get a lot of varda's playfulness in mm-hmm. this film but it's it strikes a bit of an off tone occasionally um you know i think she uh i guess i guess this is her blind spots like there's a little bit of like you know the 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 humor is directed even the stuff of you know the where when she says like white girls with with black dolls black girls with white dolls like i you know those pictures were very interesting and the contrast between the two of them was very interesting but the tone of it is a little bit condescending I feel yeah like. it's like your aunt rachel visiting china and then just walking around in a uh right a traditional chinese garb <laughs> all the time and you're like uh, i don't think you're supposed to be doing that it's that but she says that, that you know that 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 Cuba loved the film and they screen it, they screen it there like every 10 years or something like oh. that. Um, I mean, so, it's, you know. it's, a, it's, I mean, I would probably assume that this was the most lively and fun documentary about them at that time. Cause it's, it's true. The playfulness, like of all the travel logs she's done so far that we've watched, you know, there's still this like love of culture yeah. and, exploratory and having fun with it and having fun with them and you know i think i think all those icky parts that we've been talking about come with the time period and not so much you know there's a bit of forgiveness with the with the time period you know oh that was the 60s or that was this and you kind of you know you have to kind of let some of that go and pick out the parts that really speak to the culture that they have there and how beautifully ca- how beautiful she does capturing it and how much fun uh, everyone can have with it. Have you seen her Black Panthers documentary yet? I haven't yet. That's, okay, that's one of my uh, that's one of my blind spots that I haven't seen yet. Yeah, so I I think there will be another a very conversation like this. Cle- well, I think there will be a very clear um, comparison okay. between these two films and. Um, you know, I think, uh, and, you know, again, it's sort of a, a positive, uh, like a celebration of a movement that soon would turn very tragic. Um, (laughs) but I think, uh, so, so in that sense, they're similar. Um, but I think more importantly, it's her depicting, uh, a movement and a culture that she is on the outside of and, um, to to i think probably somewhat mixed mixed of uh effectiveness yeah. i think that's where that's where something like a direct cinema works better in the long term when it comes to right getting into cultures that aren't yours versus more of a uh, commentary of documentary style which then kind of shows its age by you know, and that's just something that's, you know, that's a whole different, that's a whole different conversation to have about when we get into doing like a 
complete Frederick Wiseman series. Ooh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we can have think, those we can have those conversations. Yeah. Don't make me watch um uh the um Canal Zone oh. Wiseman again. Uh that's very slow. Um <laughs> there's some hard there's some hard stuff to watch there for sure. Oh but. yeah, God no. I don't know yeah, I don't even want to think about um like uh meat and uh <laughs> no. oh zoo. Oh my zoo. god. Oof. This, oof. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think Varda, you know, well, I guess it similarly, like Maul's docu- India documentaries, like, mm. I think you have to, and Maul kind of does this a little bit in India, I, I hope, anyway. I think it's difficult to kind of know how much his intention was there, but, like, there is sort of, in, in by being... Being an outsider, I think you have to address that and reckon with it in some way in order for your work to be successful. But that becomes like a really dangerous line to walk Um, as somebody who wrote a book about um, a culture that I'm not a part of. Mm -hmm. Because I think when you do try to do that in a very conscious way, um, it can come off as... uh, dismissive or sort of um i guess flippant yeah no i it's 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 a it's a fine line and you know some people are really capable of walking it and i think it's when the the project speaks louder than the commentary that it's where it works the best if the project is uh, solid enough and holds its own then yeah and i i think i mean i personally think this is a really um excellent documentary yes Um, no completely it's so i do i do think it's successful in in that regard i enjoyed it greatly i mean we you know we grew up with these types of documentaries this is like what we saw all the time in like uh it sounds it sounds absolutely crazy but this is the type of thing that like uh Sesame Street would show us and we would see stuff on uh, like Mr. Rogers would show us like these are the types. This is the style of documentary that we kind of grew up with in uh, film strip classes and stuff like that. Like, yeah, this was this was everything. This is how we had exposure to the world for the longest time before uh, the world got smaller. So I totally had a, both a sense of nostalgia for that type of film and then also just a complete and total enjoyment for the film that it was because it is it is super lively it is super fun there's so much energy so much passion into what's being made um and it does open up a new world to people which you know that's that's the important part right getting the getting this is this is not a strange world this is a world where there's kids with dolls people dancing uh, there's all everything that you yeah. have is here art, as well. Music, art, music, like culture. Struggle, yeah. 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 So I I do agree. It's a fantastic documentary. I liked it a lot. Um. So next time, uh, we will be covering one of the most difficult uh Varda films to get a hold of prior to this complete box. It's one of the few of her. Uh, 
20th century features that I have not seen. We both get to have a new experience next week. That's so exciting. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I've been waiting for a long time to see this movie um, in a good print. And so I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked. Oh, that's fantastic. And we started, uh, we started reaching out to some of our old uh, friends of the podcast and we're going to start lining up some, other voices to hear yes, with us as well nice. which is that'll super nice. exciting um it's all uh this is there's a lot of films to cover here and we just wanted to make sure that uh we got in and started talking about stuff before we started inviting friends friends aboard and uh so yeah we're excited to uh in the future have some uh, other voices coming to join us to talk about these films what um one last thing is that uh we, we didn't rank them yet. Uh, I'm very curious <laughs> to hear if you're going with Cleo or Bonar. Oh, I'm going with Bonar. Okay. This is, this is, this is number one. Number two is Cleo. And number three is uh, Point Court. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, this is far and away. I mean, this is probably the best movie I've watched this year. I didn't put awesome. it. I didn't put it on my letterbox rating because I don't put the rating on until we've talked about it. Yes, I don't same. want to give you an idea of what. Sure, I... <laughs> of course, you can't. But no spoilers. As, as soon as we're done here, I'm gonna put the, <laughs> put my five stars on that thing and uh, good. <laughs> put and talk about it because man, I I want so many more people to see this film and if uh, yeah. whoever actually likes my reviews can uh <laughs> if i can just to get two of them one of them to watch this movie then uh i've done i've done it justice and everything yes, it deserves yes. go forth <laughs> preach the word and i think with that we're complete for another week